say welcome. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at FBC. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, just want to say genuinely glad that you are here. And again, I think we might have some people still kind of trickling in. And so if it's not too much trouble and you can kind of squeeze close a little bit, close those gaps between seats, get to know the person next to you a little bit, or just free up maybe some aisle space, that would be great for anyone still coming in. Uh, With that, go ahead and open up your Bible with me, if you brought one, to Luke 24, verse 13. If you need a Bible and don't have one, uh, that's okay. There's some on the seats in front of you. So if you just want to grab one of those, that's great. That's going to be page 722 if you're using one of those Bibles on the seats in front of you. Again, Luke 24, Verse 13, and I'm actually going to pray for us. I know it's a little tricky. You're like, you told me to open up the Bible. I'm trying to find it. Now we're praying and closing our eyes, but um, let's pray together, shall we? God, we are so grateful to be here today, gathered as a church to sing, to worship, to celebrate the fact that you, Jesus, are alive. And so we pray now that you would fill our hearts with joy and gratitude at that truth. Open our eyes as we read your word. Help us to understand it, to apply it to our lives, to be open, God, to what you want to say to us this morning. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, again, it's Luke 24, verse 13. As you're finding that, have you ever been disappointed by the end of a story. A book you were reading, a movie you were watching, maybe a situation in your own life that you hoped would work out well and be resolved, but it, it didn't, and it disappointed you with how it ended. Have we, have we talked about the movie Open Water before? Have we had this conversation? All right, let's have this conversation. Open Water, if you haven't seen it, it's a movie about this couple that goes scuba diving. A boat takes them out into the middle of the ocean, drops them off, and then they scuba dive and they kind of drift a little bit and then the boat accidentally leaves them behind. I know. And so they're stuck there in the middle of the ocean, just floating there, and the whole movie is them trying to survive or hoping that the boat will come back and realize they left them behind. They're longing to be uh, rescued, but all that happens in the movie is they float there and they get stung by jellyfish and eaten by sharks, and they die. <laughs> now, seriously, that's, that's the movie. And you're like, isn't this Easter Sunday? Where is he going with this? I don't get it. Um, But think about it, that's a terrible ending, and the whole time you're just hoping for, we want that good ending, right? We want the rescue, we want the resolve, but it it never came. And so this Easter, we're looking at this passage in Luke 24, where you just turned. That first Easter, we meet these two disciples who similarly are trying to wrap their heads around what they think is a terrible, disappointing ending. Because just a few days ago, Jesus died on a cross and was abandoned as a criminal. And they're trying to make sense of all of it. That's where we jump in in Luke 24, verse 13. Let's look at it together. I'll read it for us. It says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. 
He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here, there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. So you see, it begins in verse 13 by saying, that same day, the same day that the women went to the tomb and found it empty, just a few verses earlier at the beginning of chapter 24, and these two disciples, Cleopas and an unnamed associate, are walking to Emmaus, and they're talking about the events of the past few days when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, walks alongside them, although they don't realize it's him. And verse 17 kind of casually floats this question their way. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Imagine he has a bit of a smirk on his face as he says it. And they stop. You see verse 17, their faces are downcast. They're upset. They're discouraged. In verse 18, Cleopas responds, are you the only one who's been visiting Jerusalem and doesn't know what's happened these past few days? You've been living under a rock? And Jesus says, well, I guess so. Why don't you tell me a little bit more? <laughs> See, this time of year, countless Jews would make their pilgrimage to the capital city of Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover, when they would look back to how God rescued them from slavery in Egypt in the book of Exodus, and they were longing for God to rescue them again. It was this festive time looking to God and his deliverance. And during this Passover that year, Jesus of Nazareth was there, this prophet, this healer, this miracle worker. There was this buzz around him. We thought he was the Messiah. Hopes were high. But our leaders arrested him, had him crucified, and now he's dead. In verse 20 and 21, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But, verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. See, this is why their faces were downcast. This is why they were so upset. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem us. The story had a disappointing ending. See, for generations, the people of God had been longing for a Messiah, a Savior, a King to come and rescue them and lead them. They knew that the world was not as it was supposed to be. For one thing, they had the, the pesky Romans in power over them in the land. Their land was plagued by violence and sin. They were waiting for God to fulfill all the promises he made to them throughout the Old Testament. Promises like Jeremiah 23 that says this, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. 
See, the disciples' hope was for a king, a Messiah, to come and redeem them as a people, redeem the world, that people would know God, that people would be rescued from their sins, rescued from death. There'd be peace and justice restored in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth for the glory of God. That people would have eternal life with God as his kingdom came on earth as it is in heaven. And so verse 21, we had hoped Jesus was the one. We thought Jesus was the guy who would redeem us. But he was executed on a cross a few days ago. Game over. The boat never returned to pick up the scuba divers. They were eaten by sharks. Verse 22 goes on for a little bit. And they said, you know, some of our women went to the tomb this morning. They found it empty. You can tell they're not really buying the story. They're, they're discouraged. They're skeptical like plenty of us maybe are today about the resurrection. They don't know what to make of these claims. They say it's all too much for us. We're, just, we're going home. We got work in the morning. Let's get back to Emmaus and on with our life. They're disillusioned, discouraged with how they think the story is ending. You know, I think a lot of us can relate to that feeling with countless things in our lives we look to and say, well, I, had, I hoped, we hoped that that X, Y, or Z would restore some sense of, of peace or joy in my life. I had hoped that this person or this thing was going to bring a sense of peace. This relationship, that man or woman, this promotion I was longing for, a little bit more income to be a little more comfortable, this accomplishment in my life, Maybe this accomplishment that my kids have and their success, that'll bring me a sense of, of joy. But it doesn't quite add up. Something's still missing. Reminds me of Kevin Durant, actually. You know Kevin Durant? <laughs> NBA superstar, plays for the Warriors, this incredibly, wildly talented basketball player. Until a few years ago, he had never won a championship, that elusive championship ring he was searching for, but then he won a championship with the Warriors, two actually, probably about to be a third. But after he won the championship, he was talking about his experience and he commented that he thought reaching the top would bring some kind of fulfillment. It would fill a certain void that he found in him, but he said it, it didn't. I reached the top reached the goal, won the championship, but it was still unsatisfied. It didn't satisfy him the way that he thought it would. And you've even seen him in years still trying to figure out his identity and his sense of worth. And you watch his interviews and he's a little irritable. He's a little testy and grumpy sometimes. He just seems unfulfilled. It's another reason to be a Sacramento Kings fan like me. <laughs> But really, he said, I, I had hoped that this would bring some redemption in my life, but it, but it didn't. Maybe you feel this way as you look out at the world at large. Read the newspapers, look at the tragedy and crisis that we see globally, that we see in our nation. He said, well, I hope that, that, that X, Y, or Z would restore some sense of peace 
and justice in the world, if this person gets elected or if this person doesn't get elected or if this policy or if this program is implemented, then maybe that's going to fix things. But here we are, and the world still looks the way that it does. Maybe you're here this morning, let's be honest, maybe you felt this way about church before. I had hoped that, that, that church, that religion, jumping through some spiritual hoops, some new habits in my life, I'd hoped that that would, would bring me this, this fulfillment and this joy that, that it seems to bring other people. Got my hopes up, but it, I don't know, it hasn't quite worked out yet. Maybe you left faith behind years ago because of that. And so these disciples, we had hoped he was the one. We thought we found the answer, but he's dead. So we'll see how Jesus responds in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Kind of harsh response, right? How foolish you are. He says, you're a bunch of fools. Well, you're like, goodness, happy Easter to you too, Jesus. <laughs> so Jesus juke. You're expecting a kind of soft answer and then he kind of drops the hammer. He says, how foolish you are. Verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? He says, don't you see? Don't you see? Verse 26, didn't the Messiah have to suffer and then enter his glory? It had to happen this way. He's saying, you, Cleopas, and unnamed associate on the road to Emmaus, you're disappointed because you just expected glory. You didn't have room for suffering in your view of things, but Jesus says, ah, suffering, then glory. There had to be a cross, then the crown. There had to be the death, then resurrection. This was God's plan. I think we can relate to Cleopas because we just want glory. We'll skip the suffering, thank you very much. Just give us the glory and the victory. Why doesn't, just Je why doesn't Jesus just sweep in Kill the bad guys, save the good guys, and we'll just be off happily ever after. He could do that. He could have done that. The problem is that none of us would be left. Genuinely, none of us would be left. Because if we're honest, the problems in the world are not just out there with those people. They're not just somewhere else. The problem is in here. The problem of corruption and evil and sin runs through every one of our hearts. And so if God is to rid the world of evil, he'd have to get rid of us too. And so we see that our biggest problem in the world is not just out there, it's not someone else, it's not some oppressive power over us like the Romans. It's not some financial issue, some health issue that we find in our life, but it's our, our sin that has separated us from God. And so Jesus' point here is, don't you see? Don't you see what makes the gospel so amazing? That God will rid the world of evil and its consequences, but he'll do it without getting rid of us. Because he suffered for us. He died in our place. He took the consequences of sin, death, punishment that we deserved so that whoever believes in Jesus 
is made right with God, forgiven, cleansed, restored, healed, given new life. So he's saying there's suffering, then glory, but make no mistake, right? The, the suffering is not the end of the story. It's not the disappointing ending that the disciples thought that it was. Yes, there was suffering, but there is glory because Jesus rose again. Amen. Amen. And isn't, isn't that kind of the, the irony in this passage that we can kind of smirk at? Is that they're lamenting to Jesus with their heads down. We had hoped that Jesus was the one who would redeem us and restore us, but now he's dead. And they're saying all of this to Jesus who's alive right there with them. He's showing us his glory. And the whole point is that these disciples were right to put their hope in Jesus. He's alive again. And so he is the one that redeems and restores the world. Even if they didn't see it at first, he has conquered death. God is bringing his new creation to the world, his new life. Even if it seems now that that darkness has won the day, we have this anchor, this hope, the resurrection of Jesus, that he is alive and that all who trust in him will likewise be made alive as well now and forever. Saw this great quote this morning talking about the resurrection. You know the, the phrase, eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Ever heard that? The Bible actually references it. It's this kind of perspective of we're going to die, so let's just enjoy life while we can. It's kind of like Yo- the ancient YOLO. You only live once, and so just enjoy it. But in light of the resurrection, in light of the resurrection, it's not just eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's let's eat, drink, and be merry because yesterday we were dead. But now we're alive. So let's celebrate. That's what today is about. And let's be clear, the doctrine of the resurrection that we're talking about this morning is not just about our spirits floating off into eternity, our souls, the immaterial part of us being released from the struggle of physical existence. That's not resurrection. Because it wasn't just that Jesus' spirit lived on or that he showed up in a, in a dream to his disciples, or that his memory somehow lived on. We're talking about him coming back to life physically, right, with a body. He's, he's walking on the road with them. They see him. They don't truly see him, but they, they don't truly recognize him, but he's, there's a body there in front of them. He's talking with them. They'll, they'll eat with him. He will touch them. And so the resurrection gives us hope of physical, embodied existence continued into eternity. And this is good news. Because I think about the, the pain and the sorrow that comes into our lives when our bodies break down. Right? When our bodies don't work the way that they should. Maybe this happens in old age. Maybe this happens because of injury or illness. I see the prayer requests that we write on our cards each week that uh, the staff and our prayer team prays over. Probably 60 to 75% of those have to do with, with physical concerns, illness, cancer, death, pain, procedures, our bodies breaking down. So the resurrection gives us hope of 
restored physical life. I read of this pastor one time who was talking about uh, children that participated in the Make-A-Wish program. Have you heard of the Make-A-Wish program? Make-A-Wish Foundation, where they treat kids and their families to these incredible experiences, these kids that have critical, life-threatening illness. And he says, this pastor is reflecting on that in the resurrection. He says, I, I thought of every parent who weeps over a sick child and thinks, my son will never be able to play outside. My daughter shouldn't be confined to this hospital and miss out on high school. He's saying there is real hope for those parents. Hope of a renewed creation because of the resurrected Jesus. See, our hope is not just that the pain will go away eventually or we'll just float away out of our bodies somehow, but through faith in Jesus after death, we can be made alive, body and soul, and given a new, healed, resurrected body where we will live and walk and eat and play in God's kingdom forever. And that's a hope not just for us as individuals, but for all the world, as the material world is renewed. And the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, talks about how God will establish the new heavens and the new earth and the dwelling place of God will be with man and he comes and he says, I am making everything new. And I bet in that moment, Jesus is talking to these disciples and he's, he's like, they, they might not believe that what I'm saying is true. So he goes on in verse 27 it says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. She's like, ah, don't believe me? Let me show you. And then he delivers probably the greatest sermon of all time. Seriously, beginning with Moses, the prophets going throughout all of the Old Testament, and he shows them how it's all pointing forward to him. It says, oh, you got a Bible? Great, open it up. Page one. That, yes, yeah, that's talking about me. Turn page two. That's about me too. Flip ahead a little bit. Yep, that was pointing forward to me and on and on. It's all about me and I wish we had that sermon on a podcast somewhere that we could just listen to. As he's showing them, it's all about me. And God has been preparing you to see this for generations. The suffering and then the glory of the Messiah. And so, friends, what Jesus does for those discouraged disciples that first Easter as they were walking to Emmaus, I hope that he can do the same thing for us today, for each of us. Walk alongside us, restore our hope gently, or maybe not so gently. Say, don't you see? Don't you see that there's, there's more to the story than you originally thought? Maybe he's been walking alongside of you for some time and you haven't realized it's him. Just like these first disciples. He said, maybe you need to see the real meaning of my death and resurrection. Maybe you need to examine it again with fresh eyes. Sometimes even as Christians, we need that reminder, don't we? And so he invites us all today to look to him, place our hope in him, have our spirits lifted and encouraged and our hope restored because he is alive. Reminds me of the author, C.S. Lewis. 
Any of you know that name? Wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and a lot of other things. He, for much of his life, was an atheist or an agnostic until his early 30s, actually. He's a brilliant man, scholar, author, studied philosophy, literature. Again, for much of his life, thought that faith and Christianity and Jesus was absurd and not worth his time. But then he re-examined what he thought he was so sure of in his atheism. And he explored things with fresh eyes and through conversations with friends and through greater study, he became a follower of Jesus and an incredible Christian writer and thinker and defender of the faith. And see, he didn't become a Christian because he just turned his brain off and stuck his head in the sand and just went on blind faith. No, he became a Christian because he read more. He studied more. He re-examined what he thought he knew. And there he found the truth of the gospel and experienced God drawing him in a new way and saw that Jesus was who he said he was. And so if you're here today and maybe you're on the fence, not sure you buy into this whole Jesus thing, uh, that's okay. There's an opportunity coming up uh, to explore things further, if you're interested. We've talked about it before. Darren mentioned it, the Alpha Course. It's going to be starting two nights from now. So Tuesday night, right out there in the lobby from 6 to 7.30. I'm going to be leading it uh, with a few other people from the church hosting it. We're going to have food. Come on. We're going to have food. We're going to watch. Yeah. We're going to watch a short video each week. It's going to be a 10-week series, and each week we'll watch a different video on a different topic of faith, and then we'll just have time to talk about it, to discuss it. And the whole point of Alpha is that we expect there to be differing opinions. We don't expect everyone to agree. It's the perfect place for people who aren't Christians. This isn't a discipleship program or an in-depth, rigorous Bible study. This is the place for someone who's not a Christian or maybe on the fence, or you have doubts and objections and you're skeptical, to just come and explore with fresh eyes. Have a conversation. So I would love to see you there. Again, that starts this Tuesday night, or you can come and bring, bring a friend. So all of this eventually clicked for the disciples, right? They're discouraged. Jesus is dead. Jesus, Jesus jukes them. Don't you see? It had to happen this way. The story continues in verse 28. It says, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. They're saying, it is true, the Lord has risen. See, it clicks for the disciples as they sit down at the table with Jesus. He takes the bread. He give thanks, and he breaks it, 
and they realize who he is, the risen Jesus. And so it's fitting then that we continue our service by doing the same thing, sitting at the table with Jesus, coming to the table of communion and taking the bread. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread with his disciples and he broke it. He said, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup after supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you, do this in remembrance of me. And so today we get to celebrate the resurrection by coming to the table and remembering Jesus' death on the cross for us. But the table is not just about the cross and his death because in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells us that whenever we take the bread and the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so in communion, we're making a statement about Jesus that he's alive, that he will return and until that day, we will remember him and worship him and follow him faithfully. And so, in just a minute, the music's gonna play. We have the two stations up front. We have an, uh, an open table here, which means if you're here this morning, even if you're visiting, uh, this isn't your home church, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to participate with us, to come forward. If you're here this morning, you're like, I'm not a Christian or I'm not sure, then that's okay. We just encourage you to stay seated um, and just reflect on the things we've talked about this morning. Uh, it's a little packed in here, and so we're going to have to be really careful how we do this. Um, the best way probably, when you come down the aisles, just kind of filter out around the outside, all right? Sounds good? So come down and filter back to your seat around the outside. And uh, actually, we don't have to do it super like formally row by row, but it's a little easier if the back rows kind of start first and come down and then circle back. Again, you don't have to do it super formally row by row, but in general, that flow would work best. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll celebrate. Sounds good? Jesus, we are here to celebrate you this morning. Not just that you died, but that you rose again, that you are alive now. And so we take these elements, both looking back and thanking you for dying for us and our sins, but we take these elements also looking forward when we will one day sit down at the table with you at the feast in the kingdom of heaven forever and ever. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for the new life you give us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.